1918, the Irish rebel warrior Constance Markovitch became the first woman elected to the United Kingdom House of Commons. In the years before her election, she fought the British Empire during the Easter Rising. She led the band of fighting women known as Common Naman. She spent time in British prisons and institutions for her views on freedom. When she was elected, she refused to take her seat in the British House of Commons. But she was the first woman to be elected to the House. This isn't her story. That's for a different day. This is the story of the woman who created the avenue for all of this to happen. In the East Cork town of Yall in 1829, a child was born. Her name was Anna Fisher. Anna was born to a large middle-class Quaker family. She was the 16th child of 17. Her father, Abraham, was a corn miller. Her mother, Jane, kept the home. Despite these typical roles for husband and wife at the time, these roles were not chosen out of societal norms. Being Quakers, the Fisher family had a great belief in equality and fairness. It was as a result of Abraham's successful career that Jane worked in the home. There was no great need for her to seek employment. These values were part of Anna's makeup from a very early age. She understood her value as a human and her ability to achieve, regardless of the rules inflicted on women at the time. In order to get an education which would open doors for her, at a young age, Anna was sent to the Quaker boarding school in Newtown, Waterford. When she learnt all she could, she graduated to the Quaker school in Newgate and moved to York, England. She enjoyed her time in England and worked hard in school. When her education ended, she decided to stay in York and got a job as an assistant teacher in Ackworth School in Yorkshire. Whilst working here, she met a young teacher and a man who published research papers on the subject of social reform called 
Thomas Joseph Haslam. Whilst she was away from home, she kept in regular contact with her family in Yall. Weekly letters went both ways across the Irish Sea, with updates and news from Yall heading east and tales of a teenager away from home going west. One day, a different letter came from home, a letter which was difficult for Anna to read. The letter was from her parents and it was telling a story which was not being publicised in England. The letter told Anna of starvation, suffering and horror as the ruling classes of Britain were using a blight on the potato crop to remove the pesky Irish from their homes and send them to their graves. Her parents had set up a soup kitchen in Yall from their home and were seeking her help. They wanted her to join them as they needed all the hands they could get. This was common for the Quaker community in Ireland. They opened their homes to the suffering and helped where they could. There were no conditions for seeking help. Being human was good enough. This was in contrast to the Church of Ireland under the instruction and guidance of Minister Edward Nangle. Nangle's followers only provided aid in exchange for the starving giving up their religion and converting to his religion or changing their Celtic names to an Anglo version. He soon became known as the Buyer of Souls. Anna returned without any issue and began to help her parents who were helping the suffering in Yall. On a daily basis, she witnessed firsthand the plight of her countrymen and women. She spoke with those who had left their loved ones on ditches as they had become too weak to carry them. She listened to the stories of the trapdoor coffins dropping souls into the ground on the piles of dead neighbours and friends. She watched as the week became weaker and eventually stopped showing up for the only meal they could get. Before Anna had left York, she had become friendly with Thomas. Thomas was from Mount Melick, County Leash and was also a Quaker. The two shared very similar ideas. They both believed in the value of women as human rather than property.
they would sit talking late into the evening, often losing track of time, discussing their views with excitement. When Anna left York to return home to help, the following day Thomas left too. Thomas, however, didn't return home, he went to London. In London, Thomas worked as a journalist first and then a researcher. He became obsessed with the work of Herbert Spencer. Herbert was an Englishman who was a philosopher, a biologist, anthropologist and a sociologist. He wrote papers on social Darwinism. It was from Herbert's work that we now commonly use the phrase the survival of the fittest. It was through reading Herbert's work that Thomas began to reject the idea of organised religion and also embraced the idea of feminism. In 1851, Thomas returned home to Mount Melek and visited the Society of Friends, a Quaker group he was a member of. During this visit, Thomas discussed how he believed that hell may be just a man-made concept used to control people through fear. He explained how he now thought that the idea of religion being organised defeated the purpose of religion. He was expelled for these beliefs. While Anna was in Yall helping and Thomas was in London and Leash, they remained in contact. They met each other on a number of occasions and their friendship blossomed into something more than that. Soon they were to marry and in 1854 in the Cork Registry Office they did just that. As a result of his expulsion from the Society of Friends, the church would not recognise the marriage, hence the Registry Marriage Office. As a result of who she was marrying, Anna too was expelled from the Society of Friends. After the wedding, the two lived together in Tipperary. This was a short stay, however, as soon Thomas was offered a role as an accountant for the Jameson, Pym & Co Brewery in Ogram Street in Dublin. They discussed this and decided it was too good a role for him not to accept, and together Anna and Thomas moved to the capital. Anna herself ran a stationery and toy shop in the city as she wanted an income of her own, and being a strong feminist did not want to have to rely on the earnings of a husband to pay for her city life. 
Anyone who met them commented on just how well suited the two were for each other. The words idyllic couple are often listed together in accounts of the relationship they shared. They created a home for themselves in Rathmines. It was as a result of settling here that Anna began to become more involved in groups promoting the idea of education for women. It was in 1861 when both Anna and Thomas joined the likes of Anne Jellicoe and founded the Irish Society of Training and Employment for Educated Women. In 1866, the same group, with Anna leading the charge, established the Alexandra College. This was the first college in Ireland to provide a university-type education for women. Life went relatively smoothly for the two and they seldom faced issue. They decided early on in their marriage not to have any children. They were more than happy to just share their lives together. In 1866, Thomas was struck with poor health and had to leave his job. This was a blow to the couple for financial reasons but it did not strain their relationship. Anna took a certain pride in being the breadwinner of the home. She enjoyed how society looked upon this as odd. The change in Thomas's working situation didn't stop their roles in the feminist movement, however. Thomas focused on the research side of things, Anna focused on the doing. In 1873, Anna helped to open the Alexandra High School for Girls. Despite his poor health, Thomas continued to support his wife's goal in bettering the world for women. In 1874, he published The Women's Advocate. It was the first of three Irish suffrage pamphlets and the first to be published in Ireland supporting women's suffrage. The papers contained invaluable information and practical advice on the organisation of suffrage activism, as well as debating in favour of the vote for women. In 1876, after years of hard work, Anna and Thomas became the founding members of the Dublin Women's Suffrage Association. This was a milestone for the women of Ireland. The association campaigned for women's suffrage, the right for women to take part in local government and equality for women in all areas of society. Its focus was to achieve this through peaceful reform. 
they met with and placed pressure on political leaders to try and achieve their goals. Anna understood it was not going to be easy to change the attitudes these men had towards women. She understood there was a long road ahead. She also understood she had to be the one to take the first steps on that road. Anna also contributed to the Intermediate Education Act of 1879, which enabled girls to sit public school examinations, and the Royal University Act of 1879, which permitted women to study for degrees in the Royal University. Between 1864 and 1869, the Parliament of Britain enforced a series of new rules in Ireland. It was between these years that they passed various laws in the Contagious Diseases Acts. These acts sought to punish women suspected of prostitution to be imprisoned for giving men diseases. Anna was furious as these laws sought to imprison women as a result of the lust of men. If a man was to pick up a sexually transmitted disease from a woman, the woman would be forcibly detained in hospital for at least one year. The man went punishment free even though he also had the disease. Of course, the man was the victim in these cases, they were making the rules. There were many reasons why this became a law. It is most likely that the powerful were annoyed that their wives were discovering their infidelity as a result of rashes and itches picked up, and the case of boys would be boys was not holding up as well as it used to. They then decided that their wives would stop getting the evidence of their misadventures by locking away the women who left traces of what they had done. That is probably the reason, but in Dublin there is an old story which provides another reason. The story goes, between the 1860s and 1950s in Dublin, in the area of Talbert Street, Amian Street and Gardiner Street, there was an area referred to as Monto. Monto was famous across the world for being one of the biggest red light districts in Europe and was a favourite stopping point for the wealthy away from home. Many of the prostitutes in Monto were unwed mothers who had been disowned both by their families and their babies' fathers. They were discarded by society and had to do something for survival. Middle and upper class Dublin saw these women as whores and did not value them as human. The real people of Dublin, however, saw them as misfortunes and tried to help them where they could. 
In 1861, a young Englishman was attempting to court an Irish actress called Nellie Clifton. Nellie was an extremely attractive young woman and the Englishman was madly in love with her. The Englishman tried to woo her with gifts and displays of his wealth, but Nellie wasn't having it. She was put off by him hiding behind gold and silver and he didn't come across as a real man. Nellie also was not convinced that the Englishman was well experienced with women. When word of this got to the advisors around the Englishman, they devised a plan to bring him to their favourite spot to let's say practice for want of a better word. They were in the Curra training camp at the time, so a trip to Monto wasn't massively out of their way. The Englishman went to Monto and for the first time experienced what it was like to be with a woman. He lost his virginity there, in the slums of Dublin. He then returned to Nelly, feeling that he was now experienced enough to match her needs. On four occasions he disappointed Nelly and gave her lasting evidence of what he had done in Monto. Nelly then abandoned any notions the Englishman might have and went on living her life. The Englishman, disappointed, instead went on to marry Alexandra Caroline Marie Charlotte Louise Julia, or Alexandra of Denmark for short. The Englishman was the son of Queen Victoria. His name was Edward VII, future King of England. Anna campaigned strongly against these acts. She and others felt they were discriminative against women and maintained a sexual double standard. Anna and Isabella Todd, a prominent feminist from Belfast, were involved in the campaign to repeal the acts from the beginning. Anna campaigned tirelessly, speaking at public meetings in Dublin and Belfast and lobbying Irish MPs. The long campaign ended in 1886 when the acts were at last repealed. Anna later wrote of her frustrations with the campaign as although it was necessary, it set the suffrage campaign back 10 years as they were all so absorbed in it. It would take 10 years for Anna's next major success. In 1896, the Women Poor Law Guardians Act was passed in Ireland. Poor law guardians were elected by magistrates and ratepayers, 
In Ireland, women could vote but not be elected as guardians unlike the rest of Britain. In 1897, there were 13 women poor law guardians, which increased to 22 the following year, opening the doors for women in local government. Anna continued to lobby Irish MPs and in 1898 she managed to get the Local Government Ireland Act forced through, which extended the local government vote to all women over 30 and also entitled them to be elected as local councillors. It was from this platform created by Anna that the women of Ireland rose to revolution. As the soul of freedom and revolution began to grow in Dublin, Cork, Limerick, Tipperary and across the hills and valleys of Old Erin, the beating drum of the inevitable battle began to louden. With it came the horns of women's rights. The turn of the 20th century saw a more militant approach, of which Anna disapproved. In 1908, two members of the IWSLGA Margaret Cousins and Hannah Sheehy Skeffington, frustrated by the limitations of the group, established the Irish Women's Franchise League, or IWFL, an organisation prepared to break the law if necessary. The exclusion of women's suffrage from the Home Rule Bill of 1912 brought further feelings of frustration and betrayal for many in the women's movement. Some resorted to more drastic militant action by damaging government buildings such as the GPO and Dublin Castle. Those found guilty were given a prison sentence and some began hunger strike campaigns in prison. Anna disapproved of such methods. In 1916, at the age of 90, Thomas published his last pamphlet, entitled Some Last Words on Women's Suffrage. He passed away a year later and didn't live to see the Representation of the People Act, brought into legislation in February 1918. This act finally gave women over the age of 30 who met a property qualification the right to vote in general elections. At the age of 90, Anna voted in the Irish general election. Despite differing opinions and political beliefs, the women of Ireland lined the streets as the old Anna marched proudly to the voting booth. As she entered, she gave her name and took her voting slip. She entered the booth, ticked who she wished to represent her in government and proudly marched back out. As she did, she was brought to tears by the crowd who cheered her life's work. She was presented with a bouquet of flowers wrapped in the suffrage colours. 
It was as a result of Thomas and Anna's life's work that after that election, the great Irish rebel Constance Markovitch became the first woman elected to the United Kingdom House of Commons. In 2018, the House of Commons celebrated 100 years of women in government in the UK. During the celebrations, they seldom mentioned how it was an Irish rebel who had fought the Empire during the Easter Rising who had given them the reason they had to celebrate. They also seldom mentioned how Constance refused to take her seat in the House of Commons due to their oppressive rule in Ireland. In 1922, after spending her life fighting for the rights of women, Anna joined her partners in all aspects of life and she returned to the land above the clouds with Thomas. She passed away just after the Irish Free State granted full suffrage to all adults over 21, regardless of sex. The music for this episode was written, performed and produced by myself, Ryan O'Halloran. The story was researched and scripted by Oren. If you want to help to support this podcast, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash we the Irish or leave us a review on your podcast app. Ryan is Anam Dom, Gurav Mahakut, Slananish.